Hi, Swarm. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Uh, this episode is actually a free preview of my new special Zero podcast that's now available on rockfin.com. That's rockfin.com slash zero. This is a very special episode. Uh, we discuss um, psychedelics in the Bible. Uh, I want real quick, uh, you're going to love this. Hold on. Oh, with uh, Danny Nemu, and he talks about drugs in the Bible. And this is the type of shows that we're doing all the time on Zero on rockfin.com. If you like this, go check it out on Rockfin. So uh, enjoy the show that we're talking psychedelics in the Bible. Take care. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Zero. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys had a great weekend. Uh, I had a wonderful weekend. I want to thank everybody who came out to San Diego and watched me rock on a sidewalk. Uh, it means the world to me, and I appreciate that you're listening to this podcast. It is growing by the day. Uh, joining me is a fellow father of twins, and he's got some very interesting uh, stuff he wants to talk about, and I'm blessed he'd even spend a little time with me at all. So please welcome Danny Nemo. How are you, brother? I'm very well, thanks. How's it going, Danny? I'm doing well. Uh, real quick, where you, where where are you from? Generally, you don't have to give us the exact address, but where where are you where, where are you out of? Oh, where am I? I live in Hastings in the UK, uh, by the coast, amongst some uh, amongst some woods. Sometimes we hear owls out here. So on the you coast of the so- UK. You know, I, we just take this, I mean, maybe you don't, and, but I don't, but I think people take what we're doing right now so just like blah, like they just take it for granted. You know, it's like I'm talking to you in the UK. I'm in LA, you're in the UK, and we're going to have a conversation about our children. I just, we just take these things for granted, but it truly is such an amazing thing that we could just have in real time. Like there's not a delay. I don't say something. I have to wait a couple minutes till you get what I said. You know, I mean, it's kind of crazy to me. I know, I don't know. I've been doing this for a long time, but still that stuff blows me away. Um, Danny, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm a, ooh, big question. Um, I'm a hypnotherapist. That's my day job. Uh, and I do lots of research on, as we said, drugs in the Bible. Um, I'm also quite big into kind of um, psychedelic scene and particularly Daimi, uh, which is a lineage of ayahuasca work. And I give talks on psychedelics, particularly around the academics of, science, of, academics of ayahuasca and where the academics miss things. Uh, things like neocolonialism and implicit racism in the academy and that kind of stuff. So, you know, why we why we aren't particularly interested in what indigenous people have to say about their own about their own brews. So you can find all of those talks on uh, like breaking convention of like for example that's a big convention we have here in the UK. We've got a couple on there. Um, what else? Yeah, I'm I'm interested in most things really. I've I've written a couple of books. My first one's about the history of science. The second one's about neurobiology and linguistics. Uh, and the Old Testament, and um, I'm interested in uh, what we see and what we miss. Uh, yeah, like, for example, the stuff on science, the, the history of science stuff is about the, uh, the place of revelation in science, what was discovered in dreams, what was discovered in flashes of inspiration, what was discovered on psychedelics. So I'm kind of interested in uh, the stuff that goes on uh, inside our heads, which isn't normally covered, you know. No I love all that, dude. I love all that. Uh, psychedelics is a very interesting thing for me, and we'll we'll get into it. Uh, you know, because I'm sober. Like I, I used to do a lot. I used to be running and gunning all the time, and uh, 
the question is where does psychedelics fit into sobriety? And now some, most people would say it has no place, but we'll get into that a little later. Uh, you, you, I mentioned uh, I was going to take a couple minutes uh, because I have twins. I had to take care of some twins. And you mentioned you had twins. So uh, you're the first person I've podcasted with that has twins. Uh, how old are your twins? Um, they're 11 at the moment. Wow. Um, one of them just bought me some tea. I don't think yours are going to be doing that for a little while. Like a Not day. for a little yeah, while. The, the, only thing, the only thing brewing for me is poop at this point. You know, uh, diapers. Yeah. I would recommend anyone who's going to have children to have twins. Um, it's great, man. I mean, it's a bit of a, it's, it's quite a hassle before they can stand. I don't know if yours are old enough to stand yet. One's been trying to stand since she came out of the womb, and she can now stand. I can, I can hold her up with it. You know, you hold her hand. She's she, And a giant smile comes over her face. She's so excited to stand. The other one's in no hurry. She doesn't mm. care. She's very laid back. She loves to just smile. Uh, and she just does it. The other one just, I, I, I think she wants to move out already, to be honest with you. She's ready to get her own place. It's a, it's a load of work right at the beginning, you know, because uh, there's two of them. But after that, it's easy. Oh, it's much easier anyway, because they look after each other. My, mine, mine still look after each other really well. They're super tight. And they're great, you know. They don't have to teach them how to share, you know. They learn that. You know, they learn how to fight and how to, how to stop fighting. Like, but I would say, you know, um, as a father to another, um, just hands off as much as possible. You know, if they fall over, don't help them up. Uh, I gotta do that's my hardest thing because you know I always when I didn't have kids I was just like you know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a strict I'm gonna do a dad I'm gonna uh, gonna be strict you know I'm not gonna be this overbearing helicopter dad and now like the minute I have kids I'm like oh my god are you guys okay because I love them so much and it's just like I just want to wrap them in a cocoon of love you know and I, I I'm trying to figure out what is the you know, because when they cry, you know, it's just like I go into like, like, you know, protector mode. And it's like, what is that weird? What's the line I got to walk, you know? It's kind of interesting. Well, they're learning how to manipulate you right from the beginning, you know, so watch out for that. But if you extend too much of a hand, you know, the universe doesn't really work like that. So whenever they, you know, if, if my kids were to fall over, I've got, a, I've got a small kid as well. I've got a two-year-old as well. When they fall over... You know, unless, unless an eye is hanging out or something like that, you probably want to just uh, let them at least make the effort. And I think, you know, those kind of things you really imprint on a child's brain right at the beginning. Are you going to get a hand up? No, you're not. You know, if you have, uh, if there's, a, if my kids used to fight when they fought, um, I wouldn't get involved because I don't really want my, I don't want them to be adults looking for the authority figure to get involved. You know, I want them to resolve their own. Oh, that's so interesting. The biggest thing is sleeping. Like when they cry in the, in the, in their like beds, their cribs, it's like, how soon do you run in there to see if they're okay? You know, the, the old theory was just let them cry it out. But then things have said, Oh, you don't do that. Uh, and then you don't want to run in there too quickly. And like, she's like, wait 10 minutes. I'm like, this is the longest 10 minutes of my life. You know? She's a lot more like, let it cry out. You know, I'm like, but we got to save them. You know, it's, it's just because, you know, one, I never thought I was going to have kids. I thought I was too old and like the blessings of the universe. I, I had two baby girls and I'm so excited about it. So like I wanted, and I take it very personal. I like, I want them to be a great represent. I, I for some reason, and probably I'm putting too much pressure on them that I want them to represent like me and like yeah. how I like see the universe and stuff like that and i'm i maybe I, that that's wrong of me to put on them maybe they're because they're, if they're like their old man there's gotta be a lot of crashing and burning a lot of like running and gunning and i have to be okay with that and i don't think i'll have a problem with that but maybe i'm putting too much pressure that they got to be like the dalai lama meets martin luther king and saves uh, humanity you know well they're the fruit of your loins you know uh there's there's, there's a lot of um a lot of information that's gone into them at least, you know. When my kids were born, they were both born with birthmarks uh, in the same place, which was just under their kind of, just here on their chest. And um, the point at which they had this birthmark was also, I've got a scar there, because the, about the year before, the whole year before they were born, or rather before, before I met their mum and before, uh, before they were conceived, I was ill, I was in the jungle in, in the Amazon, and I had this flesh-eating uh, parasite eating into my chest. It's called leishmaniasis. 
it's a protozoal infection. I got it from a sand fly that bit me and, you know, it just started eating way into my chest. And the people, I, was, I went out to the Amazon because I wanted to learn about ayahuasca and because I was writing a book about, um, about medicine, I was writing a book about magic and autonomy and all these things, my academic background, the history of medicine, philosophy of medicine. And when I got there, quite shortly after I got to the Amazon, I got bitten by the sandfly and I got this, I got this infection. And then I spent uh, about eight months treating it with ayahuasca. And the people around me, they said, you're crazy. You know, they said, you should go and take your injections, go and take antimonium tartrate injections. Otherwise, because this, this, this particular wound or this particular uh, leishmaniasis, it can develop into another form which attacks the no, the, your cartilage in your nose and your ears. And it starts to eat your face and it can eat all the cartilage in your body. What? Stuff like that. And I was really adamant that I didn't want to do that because, um, you know, I've, I, I've gone into a lot of um, uh, uh, that kind of history about how indigenous medicine and traditional medicine has been pushed out and all the, um, I mean, I know you've got a, you're quite into conspiracy theory no, yourself. No, no, but, dude, dude, this is great. Um, Whatever you want to talk about. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a real, because I was living right on the edge of the Amazon. I was living in the Amazon, but it was in just on the edge of Rio Branco. So it's kind of where the where the city meets the meets the jungle there, and um, it was really magical. The whole the whole thing which took me there was very magical. Ayahuasca has always been very magical to me, particularly my lineage, which is Daimi. And when I got this illness, you know, people around there said you you've got to have have your injections. And I was like, no, I didn't come here to take injections. Get your hands off me. And um, so I went to a curandero there and I said, I want to treat this with ayahuasca. And he said, well, you can't treat this with ayahuasca. You need to go to hospital with this. And I said, well, listen, I heard that your father was a great curandero. What and, is um, that? What is that? Um, like, a, like a witch doctor, a healer, uh, indigenous, uh, not actually indigenous, but um, in this case, a caboclo. So that's kind of mistezo healer, but someone who works with traditional plants in order to do cures. And so, um, so I went to this guy and he ended up doing an eight month cure with me. I was drinking ayahuasca for about every day for about five months of that. And at the end of that, towards the end of that, when I was still ill, you know, I was treating with all kinds of stuff as well, like man uh, mango leaves and all these teas and I had to clean it all the time and stuff. I had all kinds of stuff happened. Like I had um, six worms came out, came out of it one day because you know, every little bit of dust was got worm eggs on it in the Amazon. So it's, it's quite a serious business having, <clears throat> but, but anyway, towards the end of this, I met a, a woman who um, uh, started looking, she looked after me towards the end of it. And right after that, you know, my, my visa was already very much expired. I had to skip the country. Um, <clears throat> and we went over the border into Bolivia. And in Bolivia, uh, you know, some weird stuff happened. Like I bought her a tarot deck, for example, and the one card in the tarot deck that was all weird was, was, was the first card that she chose off me. But anyway, the weirdest thing that happened was I was in um, a, a internet cafe and someone wrote to me, two people wrote to me saying they dreamt about me, which I thought was significant. One person wrote and said, I just had a child, I'm really happy. One wrote to me and said, I just had a, I just got pregnant and I'm really happy. So I, I kind of, I just wrote to a friend of mine and just said, um, do you think if I went home and impregnated this woman, all my problems would go away? And then what happened was I went back to the hostel and I opened the door and she said, do you want to have a child? And I went, yes. And uh, we kind of immediately did. And this was, I, I'd been celibate for this whole time when I was doing this ayahuasca cure. How long was that? Um, uh, the whole thing was, I was ill for about eight months. Wow. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, yeah, it was quite, quite an austere situation. I was, I was quite isolated as well um, uh, in the jungle. But yeah, so, so we very pretty much, pretty much immediately uh, uh, conceived this child. I'd only known her for a couple of months. And um, when they were born, they both had these uh, birthmarks on their chest. Wow. Just in the spot where, where I had it. I've got, I, wonder, I don't know if I can share this slide with you. Can you yeah, share like, I mean, like, if it lets you, I'll do it. I mean, of course. Uh, I think that might be a bit complicated. You have to enable it, but don't worry okay, about it. Okay, let me see. You've got your hands full there. Yeah, I mean, we just had a blowout. Let me see if I can enable that. How, where do I go? Um, enable uh, share. One of the options there, but... While you're, while you're having a look at that, like, um, there's a talk called uh, Neocolonialism and Racism in the Academic Study of Ayahuasca, which is a talk I gave um, at a few different places. So people can Google that and you'll see like a nice slide of this hideous disease I had in my chest and also where these birthmarks, uh, where these birthmarks dropped up. And then I took it back, like five years later, I went to go and visit the curandero, this, this guy, and I said, um, I said, look at my magic, you know, they got birthmarks, I got birthmarks. And uh, he was like, you know, 
he was, he was like, oh, I left a tag, did it? I thought he'd be like congratulating me, but it's just very, very normal in the jungle, that kind of magic uh, happening. It happens all the time. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we call that Thursday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes you think about what's, what's significant, because the reason I was doing all this was because I was watching all these omens happening and all this like, uh, just, just magic upon magic upon magic. In, in a scientific world, significance is, you know, P equals 0 0.05, you know, statistical significance. And what kind of world do you live, what kind of poverty do you live in if that's what significance is? You know, a bunch of, a bunch of statisticians somewhere deciding what's meaningful. It's like... I, I agree with that completely. I mean, we're dealing with this right now with this whole virus situation going around and we're listening to doctors tell us what we got to do. We're not trusting our instincts. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing. Everything you're talking about, man, just makes me believe like whatever we live in is so much more interesting than they, they teach us. And, you know, to go to the jungle like you did and experience that is just, and then have, have your children born with that. It's just like, just lets me know something's way more, we're way more interesting than they want us to know about. It's, yeah. you know? Particularly disease as well, you know, when people are sick and when people are scared of, scared of dying or scared is when they really reveal their, their fundamental philosophy, you know, so you can be like a big hippie uh, and you can burn your incenses and whatever it is. But as soon as you get, if you only get ill, you're running back to the doctor or you can be a big anarchist and, uh, and um, you know, not trust the government on everything until they tell you, Hey, you've got to, you know, you've got to stay two meters apart. You've got to wear your mask. One hundred percent, dude. One hundred percent. I mean, like, just, you know, pop culture. How long has pop culture been telling us don't trust the man, don't trust the government, rage against the machine, and then instantly all those people are like, six feet away, wear a mask, do that. I mean, it's just like I don't know what happened to punk rock. There's only a couple of them left, but it just seems like that. It just it just really exposed a lot of people. You're totally right. When people think death is knocking, the true, the true character gets revealed. That's a wonderful point, man. True character in the yeah. eyes of chaos, the real you comes out. Have, have you had the disease? You had COVID? I, I don't know. I, I, I just I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to get tested. And it is what it is. I take my vitamin D. I take my vitamin K. I take my vitamins. And uh, I've talked to tons of doctors come on my show. And I'm just going to do that. I, uh, you know, I try to respect, you know, I've, I have a girl. So I, I try to respect all, as many of the, of the things you do. I wear gloves. I, you know, when I meet and greet after my shows. But taking K, D, C, everything. Yeah, I mean, vitamin D will do it, man. Like the, um, I don't know, there was some Indonesian uh, trial or Indonesian study. They looked at people's vitamin D levels and it was something like 4% of the people who died of COVID had, had normal vitamin D levels and 96 had uh, low, low vitamin D levels. You know? That's what I've been hearing from everybody, dude. Every day I, got, I had this doctor on, he has his vitamin D, vitamin K and I take it every day and, you know, and just... Uh, and plus there was, you know, some studies early on was like, uh, you know, O positive. It's very hard for them to get the uh, disease as well. And I'm O positive. So it's just chaos. You know, I, I'm not going to let my world get destroyed by something that kills point zero whatever percent it is. But back to the psychedelics, brother, I am so excited. You know, the Bible is such an interesting book. I feel like, you know, in on my show and in my studies over the last couple of years, I've just learned what is up is really down. And they've done that purposefully to hide from us, you know, what is really going on, who we are, what we live on, where we live on, what is uh, where we are in this universe. And I just find it so much more interesting. And I think the Bible is a very interesting book that has been kind of over the last, like, I don't know. 30, 40 years been really demonized. Uh, and I think that's purposeful. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into, I'm not into any organized religion. I'm more a spiritual guy. So, but I respect everyone's religion and the right, as long as they're not preaching hate and, you know, salvation by hating other people or anything like that. I'm really open, but I mean, I'm down to hear about this. Cause I, I also want to get into how this applies to uh, uh, sobriety as well. 
Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, was it this good product's William Blake quote, which I think is interesting about the Bible, both read the Bible day and night, but thou read black where I read white, you know, and a lot of people take to the Bible what they want to see. And that's particularly amongst conservative churches. You know, you said um, you respect everyone's religions. I'm not sure I do respect everyone's religions, to be honest, you know, um, but um, yeah, um, the Bible is yeah, the Bible's fascinating, but if, you, if you're locked into a model where, where Yahweh is the good guy, um, then you're not reading it very closely, to be honest, because th there's a guy who lies about all kinds of stuff. He's just, you know, his actions are described as evil in the text, you know. Um, uh, even he says in Isaiah, I create uh, light and darkness. I create um, evil, uh, among other things. You know, the source of evil, according to the Bible, is, is Yahweh. Um, and then you look at the snake, you know, the snake. Who's Yahweh? The, oh, Yahweh, oh God. When, when, in the Bible, when it's translated the word the Lord, right, that's Yahweh. Um, the Jews will pronounce it Adonai. Um, you, you've got lots of different God names in the Bible, um, and they all do very different things. So, for example, uh, you've got the Lord of what's called the Lord of hosts, for example, the Lord of armies. He's the guy who gets involved in, in, in military disputes. You've got, the, you get, you've got the, the, the Lord of healing, for example, um you've got all these different got you've got el shaddai for example he's much more i mean this is what i write about in my second book which is this one uh that book man you're an apocalypse but that kind of gets into this kind of thing looking at different god names as different um different parts of the mind different parts of the brain really and the way i read it um el shaddai he's really interested in territory and he's interested in uh, reproducing which is what you're what your what your reptilian brains into Yahweh is much more interested in loving your your own tribe hating other tribes and um he's interested in tribal tribal politics which is much more kind of limbic system and um but yeah so the, the, the one god when you see god um as in like in the in genesis 1 genesis 2 it's elohim and elohim is this character who never actually comes into he doesn't put his foot in the world you know he sits outside he creates it uh, and then he, he's kind of in the scenes. He's in the rise and fall of empires. He's in the turbans, but he's not the one who pops into the world to go and whatever, make donkeys talk and uh, and stuff like that, and chase people around the garden. And I kind of see Elo Elohim's an interesting word. It's right there in the in the first line, Bereshit uh, bara Elohim. Right, um, in the beginning was created God. But that word Elohim, it's 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 got a plural ending. It's uh, the grammar around it's singular, but it's got plural ending. So it's both plural and singular. And it's also um, Elim means uh, powers in Hebrew. Uh, but Elohim, if you put an extra hey in it, hey, letter hey, hey is a feminine letter, right? So for example, Deborah and Hannah, they end in hey because it's, uh, they're feminine. So you've got this word Elohim is both kind of plural, singular, masculine and feminine and abstract. You know, when Jews say Lachaim, that's to life, yeah? That's a, that's a plural ending, but it's an abstract single. Um, and that beginning of the Bible, you know, there's this brilliant line from Nachmanides, who's one of the greatest of, 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 of Jewish sages of all time. And this isn't some like weird um, fringe guy. This is one of the most, he wrote the commentary on Genesis. And he says this, he says that if you divide, he says that the Torah is written in black fire on white fire. And if you, div if you and it's written without spaces, Right. And if actually if you look at the, the Paleo Hebrew inscriptions in other places, which is what the Bible was first written in Paleo Hebrew, is written without spaces. You know, Greek used to be written without spaces. A lot of languages used to be written without, written without spaces. But he says this, he says, if you divide up the words in different places, it reveals different names of gods and different secrets. And he gives an example of this. So in the first line of the Bible, which normally goes, Bereshit bara Elohim, if you take the first two letters of the first word, and you put them on the second word, and he gives this example. It goes, Barosh Yitbara Elohim, which means something different. Barosh means in the head. Yitbara becomes passive. Uh, in the beginning was created God. Sorry, not in the beginning. In your head was created God, or in your head is created the gods, which is quite an interesting way of starting the Bible, you know. Um, and yeah, yeah, I kind of look at that as really psychedelic as well, because when, when you take psychedelics, it, it makes the edges of things become permeable. I don't know if you, you like, like experience this, but you know, you might think, uh, uh, you might think one day, you know, my, my wife's a nightmare, something like that. My wife's a nightmare. 
And then you take a big dose of acid and you might be able to rethink that. Or maybe we're a nightmare together. No, I'm with you, dude, on that. I, I got to be honest with you, man. One, the last time I did shrooms, it changed my life. And I know it sounds crazy and she just laughed at it, but it's the goddamn truth, man. I re you know, I remember one day I just started this, my Tim Fall hat show and I, I, I like a crazy person. I took some shrooms that a fan sent me and uh, which is probably not the best idea in the world. But at that point I was just like, Hey, whatever, man. And I took the shrooms and I remember, man, it was like something came over me and I said to myself, you know, for the first time ever, I realized I'm exactly where I need to be. And I, I got to stop future tripping and being upset about where I am compared to other people. And I've never, ever worried about it again, ever again. I never fretted, oh my God, my career is this. And, and like for some, it just became this moment where I stopped drowning. I was drowning at that point. And like, especially when you try to make it in, in the show business and entertainment, there's so many people that you got to get yes from that just are just very weird people that you got to somehow do this dance for. And like at that moment, I never wanted to dance for anybody ever again. I very much leaned into just, I'm going to, I'm the only one that's going to save me. And I'm the only one that can make this happen. And I just it like, I'm, I'm full, you know, full disclosure. I was so trippy that I fell in love with 30 seconds from Mars that night. Cause they played, but besides that, it was, uh, the truth is, is that it was, it was really a mind blowing moment for me. And I, I never really fretted over my, my, uh, my career from that moment or where I was in life and everything since then, I honestly, God just blew up, man. And it was such an amazing moment for me. Well, that's what the first line of the Bible says. In your head is created the powers, you know, the powers that are going to drive you to do all the things. So if you're, if you're constantly putting your head, what, how am I doing with respect to him or her or this kind of thing? No, no, come back to your head, work out what kind of drives that you're, you're moving around. And then, yeah, that's where success comes from. And you take the rest of that line. So in Hebrew, it goes, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning was created, et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz, the heaven and the earth, right? If you kind of do, if you kind of do the same kind of shizzle with moving around letters, uh, you are heavens and you are earth. In the beginning, sorry, in the head was created the powers. You are heavens and you are earth, which is a great way to start a book, which is talking a lot about like, you know, experiences that happen uh, in your head. You know, people see visions, people hear voices, people get uh, overwhelmed with compulsions. Um, uh, like when Moses goes down to Egypt, he says, no, I can't do this. And, 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 and Yahweh says to him, I will go with you and I will be in your mouth and I will, I, I will speak for you, you know? And we get that, you know, I don't know if you're, a lot of writers get that, a lot of artists get that. Uh, when you get into that flow state, you find the words moving through you. And if you can just get out of the way and let whatever, whatever power is moving through you, you can be a whole lot more funny and a whole lot more uh, entertaining in your art. So that's kind of one thing I'm interested in the Bible, you know, um, um, but what, what really, the first thing, the, the first talk I gave on the Bible was, was an anarchist conference and I was looking at mistranslation in the service of empire and I got into it because I was, um, I was looking at this word aeon, at the end of the world, uh, there'll be, it's talking about the end, it's in Matthew, the end of the world would be uh, uh, all this kind of suffering is what he says. And you look at that word, it doesn't say world, it says aeon, at the end of the epoch. So I kind of started just looking at it in terms of control and domination and power politics. But as I got more into it, I got more into the psych, I got more into the, these kind of uh, psychic experiences and looking at it as a shamanic book. And if you, um, if you, if you look at uh, all of the kind of markers of shamanism and these have been collected, um, there's these different tropes which you find amongst Germans. For example, they, uh, they, uh, they have a, an altered uh, experience. They, they go off it on their own for a long time. They can command animals. Um, they can cause death. All of these things uh, apply to Moses in the stories of Moses. You know, he does, he does pretty much everything that, um, that a shaman is supposed to do. Divining for military tactics, for example, finding food, um, coming, out of the, the hot, uh, coming out of the tabernacle and then uh, singing, singing stories, which is also a way that shamans pass on their messages. And if you look closely, then at, at, the, at, the, at the resins, which are described in the Bible, I'm talking particularly about Exodus 30, um, and that's what I've done. I've, done um, I've published in Academic Journal on this. It's an article called Getting High with the Most High. 
you get some really, really interesting uh, preparations. And there's two of them. Maybe I could like explain a little bit about what those preparations are. Because the first one is the anointing oil, right? Uh, that in Hebrew is shemen hamishcha. And the word mishcha comes from the word masha. Masha means to paint or to wipe, yeah? This is an oil which was wiped on people. And the word Mashiach or Messiah comes from that word. So the Messiah is the anointed one. And the anointing oil is this stuff that was painted all over these people. What's it got in it? It's got uh, cinnamon, it's got cassia, it's got myrrh, and it's got cannabis. Like, and, you know, the, the, the research into the, the kind of linguistics around cannabis is pretty strong anyway. Chris Bennett's been really good on that. But I don't know if you saw a couple of months ago, there was this finding of cannabis at Tel Arad Shrine in, uh, in Israel, in southern Israel. So they basically found, um, found residues of cannabis, residues of frankincense on the altar of a shrine uh, in, the, in, the, in the Judah That's Heights. That's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. And, and, and so, so, so what's, what I find, I find it's interesting they use cannabis, um, but what's really interesting is, is the synergies which go on in this particular mixture, right? So, so, so in, in the same way that ayahuasca, um, ayahuasca has many ingredients, but basically two ingredients, um, one of which is an enzyme inhibitor and one of them which is DMT. So D, if you take spoonfuls of DMT, it won't do anything to you because um, it'll get broken down in your gut. The monoamine oxidase is the name of the uh, enzyme. It breaks it down, doesn't get into your head, right? If you can inhibit that, uh, that enzyme, and you can do that with harmine and harmaline, these beta-carbolines, which is in the ayahuasca vine, then it basically allows that DMT to do something which otherwise it wouldn't do because it gets, gets broken down. So the DMT gets to your head, and then it does all kinds of very, very fascinating things and opens a whole load of doors, right? So that's a case where the mixture of two herbs or two plants has a much greater psychoactive effect than either of the individual, the individual plants. And you get something very much like this in, in the Bible, in this particular mixture of cinnamon, cassia, uh, and myrrh, <clears throat> and cannabis. But cinnamon, cassia, and myrrh, right? These were mixed together in the, the Egyptians used to make what's called the Mendesium, which is an oil that was exported to Roman stuff. They've been doing this since the middle of Bronze Age. Talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, you had the mixture of cinnamon, cassia, and myrrh. And what's really interesting is, is it, it works on this particular enzyme Tell me if it's getting confusing, but there's one enzyme system. It. It's called the cytochrome system, right? And it's got five, um, it's got five cytochrome enzymes, which break down 99% of the drugs that you're likely to encounter, right? Um, they've got names like CYP3A4 and CYP1A2 and all that. So cinnamon inhibits four of them. Sorry, there's six of them. Cinnamon inhibits five of them. And then cassia inhibits the last one, which is called cyp 2d6 right so with the combination of cinnamon and cassia basically what you're doing is you're knocking out all of the enzymes that break down 99 percent of the drugs which you're likely to encounter and then along with that you put in myrrh right myrrh's got three different opioid works on the opioid system right so if you if you take myrrh in wine or something um and in fact that's what jesus gets offered myrrh in wine when he's on the cross right uh he, he refuses it he doesn't want it but they, they knew that it was a painkiller because myrrh is a painkiller. It's also, it works on, um, it works on the, same, the, same, the same place as opium and heroin, basically. Uh, so it does all kinds of interesting things to your mind, mood, you know, mood enhancing, euphor euphorogenic and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got cannabis in that as well. And, um, you know, I won't go too much into the synergies because it gets really complex. We're going to start talking about dopamine and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's in a lot yeah. So, so this is the, so the, so when the priests went into the tabernacle and they went to the tabernacle for a specific reason, they went in there to talk to angels and gods. The first thing that they all had to have was this oil wiped all over them. Yeah. And there are taboos. They say things like in the text, it says, if uh, you don't go into the tabernacle and, uh, and be anointed if you've had strong drink, right? Uh, because, um, because that particular mixture isn't very good because these things have, um, have tranquilizers in it, tranquilizers and alcohol as Jimi Hendrix uh, discovered, is not a very good mix, you know? Um, and so, so what happens is that the, the priests go in, all of the priests have this stuff put on them, and then the high priest goes off on his own, and he goes off uh, into, into a hot box, basically. And this is in the back of the tabernacle, 
uh, is described over five chapters in the Bible, right? Noah's story gets half a chapter. The construction of this tent gets five chapters. It tells you about everything about um, how far apart to put the sticks and when to pin them into the ground. And like, it's really complicated, but it's a four and a half meter cubed hot box, totally sealed at the back. Um, it's got four materials over the top, one of which is this leather they used to make shoes out of. And then the veil at the back of the tabernacle, which seals off the Holy of Holies, is in the time of the temple is described as the thickness of a man's hand, right? So it's a big fat veil, which is not there just to keep your eyes out, it's there to keep something else in, it's there to seal the hot box. So, so what happens? The high priest gets anointed with the oil and then takes handfuls of incense. And this incense, I'll describe what's in it in a minute, but then he goes and he burns handfuls of this stuff in a four and a half meter cubed hot box and he talks to angels and hears their voices, right? And, and what you've got in this incense, you've got, for example, saffron, which is interesting. Saffron, um, it works on the opioid receptor, it works on opioid receptors. Um, you've got spikenard, which is the stuff that Jesus, um, what's it, Judas complains about some expensive ointment in the New Testament. He says, we, why are you wasting all this money? We could be giving it to the poor. That's spikenard. The spikenard boosts GABA, boosts uh, dopamine, boosts this and boosts that. Uh, frankincense, which is a lovely stuff, um, I chew frankincense all the time. Um, that works on the GABA system, which is the same uh, system as Valium, for example. So you've got this massive mix of like, how many is it? Like, uh, I think it's seven different um, psychoactive resins, which are finally ground and, 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 and put into this sensor. And then you've got the other priests. The other priests go off on their own and they do something different. They go and they eat um, the showbread. And let me just find this quote. And I'll stop rabbiting about it in a minute. No, but it's this, great, uh, dude. <laughs> I could listen um, to you all day. Wow, so, so man. The Bible's a lot cooler than they let you know. That's the whole thing, man. I think it's been done purposefully to get people to not want to find higher powers and stuff like that. Yeah, so the mistranslation of the Bible and the misrepresentation of the Bible has been going back since all the way through the Catholic tradition, all the way through the Jewish tradition. Um, I'll give, give you one example of that, you know. We get this word about, you know, uh, Eve's, Eve's, Eve gets made out of Adam's rib, right? The word in Hebrew is selah for rib. It's not the word for rib in Hebrew. If you look at all the times which selah is, is, is said in the Hebrew Bible, it's like 10 or 15 times. Every single time, it either means the flank of an army or it means a chamber in house, a half of a house, right? Uh, and then when they do want to say rib, you know, when someone gets injured in a, in a rib, it's like they say they hit him in the fourth. They don't say they hit him in the fourth rib. They hit him in the fourth, right? So this word rib, you know, the story actually says, um, if you were to read it according to how the words are normally used in the text, uh, it says that, that basically a flank of Adam was taken away or the flank of the man was taken away and it was made into the woman. But obviously it makes a whole lot of sense for you to say, well, we just took a little bit of, a little bit of rib off Adam. And um, there's a whole kind of patriarchal story which put that rib in there. And we're going back a long way. So, so because it, the, the connection broke up just a little bit while you were into that. So what do you think they are alluding to when they say they took a rib from Adam, what do you think they're actually trying to say? Is it just a metaphor or is it something else? So what I'm saying is that if you look at the Hebrew, it doesn't say rib, right? It says flank. The word, the word, the Hebrew word, which is translated as rib, doesn't mean rib in any other story in the Bible. That, 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 that word is translated to mean flank of an army or to mean like a chamber of a house, right? So it's, a, it's not a minor part of the body, it's half of the thing. A flank of an army is half an army, right? So, oh, so basically idea, Adam had to give up half his shit to uh, uh, Eve in some kind of like, you know, no, yeah. that was a bad joke, <laughs> but. <laughs> Man, this is yeah, so interesting, dude. I just, so, so just the Bible's chock full. You know, it's like psychedelics and all that stuff. It's like, it's so interesting. I like, yeah. Man, I'm just learning. It's like you just can't trust any of the information out there. You got to do what you do. You just got to go deep into it. Just start looking into this stuff. But is there any other instances? I know, I know we were just going to do a short time, but man, you got me. I'm going to put this out on my regular feed so that people hear like, um, so we're going to onto the big, the big uh, feed of Tim Fall Hat so people can hear this.
Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, there's like I was just I can tell you about the. This is from the Talmud, which is a collection of kind of oral history, um, and this is the description of the showbread. So the so the high priest went goes off on his own into his hot box. He's actually got a chain in case he falls over. He can be pulled out, you know. Um, because there's a whole lot of tranquilizers going on. But the, the, the rest of the priests, they all go off and they eat this showbread. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna get to read this, this kind of bit of text from the, from the Talmud. In Simeon the Upright's time, Simeon the Upright is a high priest. In Simeon the Upright's time, a blessing was sent into the Omer, the two loaves of bread and the showbread. And every priest received, who received only the size of an olive became satiated and some was left over. So it's a pretty tiny dose, right? But after him, these things were cursed and every priest got only the size of a bean and the delicate ones refused to take it all altogether, but the voracious ones accepted and consumed. It once happened, one took his own share, and his fellows, he was nicknamed robber till his death, right? And what are we talking about here? We're talking about like a tiny dose of something, which is too much for some people to take, and it's got that Moorishness of drugs as well, because some people go, I'll have a little bit more. Um, <laughs> that seems like a pretty clear drug reference to me, but you've also got like, outside of the tabernacle, you've got like a line from, um, I think it's the Song of Solomon, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes. Uh, come, let us take our fill of love until morning, right? So there you've got myrrh being used as an aphrodisiac as well. Uh, you've got Jacob's wives arguing over mandrake. Uh, mandrake, you know, and, and like, like one of them's son goes and gets a mandrake and the other one says, give me some of that mandrake. And she says, you've taken my husband already. You're going to take my mandrake as well. And she ends up swapping a night with their with their shared husband for this mandrake right mandrake is a terrible food stuff you eat too much mandrake you're going to get these like your ass is going to fall out you're going to have like dysentery <laughs> you know if you eat the right dose of mandrake you're going to get really high it's super aphrodisiac and psycho and psychedelic as well so i mean this is the thing like in order to not find that in the bible you don't need to be some crazy you know psychedelic anarchist you just have to read you have to read it you know uh, not complicated you know, uh, so we were kind of talking earlier about like, you know, I'm sober, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, drinking cocaine, other stuff. And, uh, I just wanted to stop. I'm, you know, I'm at an age where that, that could affect my, you know, my life. Now I have two children. I, you know, I, I want to stay around as long as I can for them. Um, but you know, within, you know, there's this whole controversy within, uh, recovery, uh, you know, and through, you know, the 12 step programs, which, you know, later on, I've been kind of like studying it. And like, I have this real feeling, you know, they, they say it's a Christian program, but to me, it's like very much Buddhist, you know, uh, the four noble truths and the eight, I forget what the next eight are called, but, uh, you know, I'm not super articulate, but, um, you know, they have the 12 steps, the 12 steps, uh, the final step is uh, you basically said upon having a spiritual experience, uh, there was a big war basically at the beginning of the development of the 12 steps with uh, Dr. Bob and Bill W. They were, uh, there was a fight over what that meant. And Bill W. wanted, once they got through the 12 steps, he wanted them to do psychedelics. He wanted them to take psychedelics and talk to God. And there, they, there was a movement within AA at the time because they didn't have CA or, or, or you know, uh, NA or any of that. It was just AA at the time. They wanted to uh, kick him out. And they didn't, so they had to, they came to agreement. It wasn't psychedelics, but it was a connection to God. But, you know, he was doing acid at the end. And there was a big discussion on that. Yeah, right from the beginning, uh, I believe that actually the whole uh, AA program came from a revelation that the guy had had on acid as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you study it's like the what's it called? I want I want to find it the uh, because I want to make sure it's not. It, it, You're uh, talking about the eight precepts. And yeah, the like eight. the four noble truths. Yeah, and then you've got the eight, the, the eight, the, the, like uh, like. Oh right, yeah, there it is, right, and, and the eightfold path, which yeah. is twelve. There we go again. You know. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said about um, mindful use of drugs, right? Because, uh, you know, same with mindful use of words and mindful use of, of, of anything, really. You can, you can do a whole lot of damage with, uh, and I have, you know, with uh, using drugs the wrong way. Um, but I don't know if you want to throw the baby out with the bong water, uh, if you know what I mean. Um, 
So it's, I mean, like, for example, I know uh, a, a good friend of mine who's, uh, who's part of the same ayahuasca lineage as me. He was, um, he's uh, been through, I can't remember if it's NA or AA, and he's still going to the meetings and all that kind of thing. He's very, very careful with his sacraments, but he will drink ayahuasca. You know. Yeah, it is interesting. And if you are sober and you listen to this, I am no way endorsing doing psychedelics or anything like that. It's just a discussion. You got to do what's best for you. Uh, I've chose at this moment not to do it uh, because I want to get, you know, a full, uh, you know, I had five years before I want to get a year of uh, sobriety put together before I start to decide whether I want to do that stuff or not. But it is on the table. I do believe it's very important. Uh, I know psychedelics have changed my life i i have uh very little regrets in my life one of my regrets is leaving my parents too early i wish i'd stayed with them and uh because i haven't lived with my you know i'm a grown man but i moved out at 18 i moved across the country and i kind of regret that but the other one is that i didn't do psychedelics with a friend of mine who ended up uh uh killing himself and i don't know if that would have saved them but i know that you know, that, that experience I told you about of me doing psychedelics changed my life and really like took a lot of pressure off of me uh, and, uh, and this desire I had to have to make it and all that stuff. And ever since then, not that my life has been, uh, you know, sunshine and blue skies 24 seven, cause trust me, it is not, but it's like there, I, I'm not worried about things outside of my control. And I focus more on this, what's in my house, my babies my relationship with the, with the, my girl and everything else. And uh, to me, that's, that's it. And I, I, you know, when you, when you have people, I mean, they're now trying to give psychedelics to uh, war vets who come back from war zones and these useless effing wars that they have us doing right now, bombing people that have done nothing to us and traumatizing middle and poor class children who have to go fight these wars for these fat cats, you know, everything's a, uh, you know, rich man's trick and all that stuff. So there's a great research project by a guy called uh, Leo Roseman. Um, and <clears throat> it's about ayahuasca experiences by uh, Palestinians and Israelis and looking at their description of the other. Uh, and these were uh, both Palestinians and Israelis drinking together and also drinking separate. Um, it's another, there's a fantastic talk on breaking convention uh, again um, about What's it called? that. Breaking dimension? Breaking Convention's a conference here in England um, about all kinds of aspects of psychedelics. And this guy's called Leo Roseman. And uh, it's, it's a real tearjerker. The talk is just fantastic about, you know, this totally screwed up war situation. You know, I've got a good friend who was in that war uh, or in those wars. He was a frontline soldier in uh, Palestinian territories, occupied territories, you know, killing people. And he, he described kind of, you know, it, there aren't any curse words in, in, in Hebrew because it's a recreated language. So they're using Arabic words to curse these, these people as, they, as they're killing them. And he was subbed out of the army on um, a suicide watch, basically. He tried to kill himself twice, got out of it, and, and, and then got into ayahuasca and has rebuilt himself. But I think there is one. There's, so there's definitely a curative uh, aspect of, 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 uh, of psychedelics. And then, and then again, there's also the recreational side of it because you don't need to be ill to take psychedelics. But the other side of it is there's quite a lot of um, let's say boring psychedelic missionaries who are desperate to get you to drop some acid. And I would say they're doing it absolutely wrong. You know, if um, if that's if that's your thing, that's that's as boring as kind of uh, missionary uh, missionary sobriety or just missionary anything as well. So I think you really know somebody by their behaviour after they've dropped it than the fact that they're boshing a whole load of acid on their weekend. I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend that. And I'd pay very close attention, especially in the ayahuasca world, actually, because you get a lot of ayahuasca, ayahuasca uh, let's say ayahuasca shamans who've gone to the jungle for three or four weeks and they come back and they're dis dishing out brew and um, getting, getting people into all kinds of trouble and getting themselves into all kinds of trouble as well. Um, so there, I don't think there's any magic, I don't think there's any magic bullets, but certainly psychedelics do open up. Uh, open up a vision of what you can be, but other things can as well. You know, disease can open up a vision of that, and, and having a child can open up a vision of that as well. Oh, for sure, Danny. This has been an uh, extraordinary conversation. I didn't, I didn't ex know what was I was, you know, getting into. Like, uh, you know, I blessed that Mark book too. So I'm like, yeah, let's see. What Man, great conversation. I would have you on anytime you want to come on if you got a book coming, uh, appearance or anything. 
uh, I would have you on. It was, it was a wonderful conversation, and I, would, I look forward to the next time we could talk. I don't know if you ever come to these states and uh, come to L.A., but if you are, I'd love to have you in studio. We could talk some more. Uh, but, man, thank you so much, Danny. If you could tell everybody uh, any information you want them to find you, any social media, websites, anything at all. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Uh, I really appreciate it. So, um, well, this is the this is a new edition of my first book. It's called Science Revealed. Uh, that's my pen name, Reverend Danny Nemu. Um, it's ironic. Um, <laughs> when people mistake me for a kind of Baptist preacher or something. But anyway, Reverend Danny Nemu. That's the first one. That's the second one, Neuro Apocalypse. So the first one's about, as I said, history of science, place of revelation in science. This one here is about. Um, uh, well, like, for example, I've got, I've got a, a comparison of the Japanese language and the English language and what Japanese people see and what Americans see and what they miss and how we remember stuff differently. Also, the language yeah. affects what we see. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Japanese is built the other way around. Like, you know, if you want to say, I want a pizza in English, you say, I oh, start with I. And that's where you're starting with. You say in Japanese, you start with pizza and you kind of look around and see what everyone else is thinking about pizza before you say who's, to, who's talking about it and what the verb is, you know. So it, not only does it, it constructs language differently, but, you know, I know we're in the last few moments, but I'll tell you one thing. If you get a Japanese guy or a Japanese person in front of um, a, an animation of an aquarium and fish moving around and you get an American in front of it, the American will normally say, there was a big fish and he was doing this and, and that kind of stuff. First thing a Japanese will normally say is there was an aquarium. And then the Japanese will normally start talking about the relationships in between the animals. And, and what's really fascinating is if you wait five minutes and then you show images of those fish back to the Japanese guy, but you put it on a different background, he takes longer to remember. And you say, was that fish in the animation or not? It takes him longer to remember it and he makes more errors if it's on a different background. With an American, it doesn't make any difference at all. Whether there was a... So in some way, the background and the foreground gets coded together. And I think, and that's what this book talks about in one case, is, um, is about how the language constructs the way that we, uh, we love view it, the dude. world. Please so that's, come on so that's my, my podcast and talk about that. I'd love to oh, have you come on that one. I know you're a busy man. When your schedule opens up, I'd love to have you on and we could uh, discuss it, dude. And do you have a website they want you to, that you'd like them to go to? Yeah. So the website is, um, the website is uh, nemusend.co.uk. It's a little bit neglected, the website. Um, <laughs> Twitter is the best place to get me. Twitter, it's uh, at RevNemu, at RevNemu. Um, N-E-M-U N-E-M-U yeah so quite a lot of my writings on there a lot of my stuff on drugs in the bible but also on ayahuasca I've got this there's an article which I've done recently it's called uh, All Over with a Vaccine uh, it's on Medium and it's about my thoughts on vaccine therapy so that's a good one to uh to check out i've got a bunch of podcasts and uh but um this one's been really fun thank you very much hey dude i could talk to you all day man you probably broke the record for the least amount of words spoken by me in an episode because i was just enjoying so much what you were saying so i appreciate it you know someone like you who's written many books and a guy like me who flung first grade could have a really fun conversation like that i think it's pretty cool and i think it's the power of you know, just what we're doing now, man. And uh, man, I'd love to have you on the other show. We'll set that up down the line when you have some moments to come on and talk. And uh, dude, thank you so much, dude. I really appreciate fun conversation. And we'll do it again soon, Dan. My pleasure completely. Thanks a lot. Take yeah. care. Uh, take care. Have a great day, man. You're the best. Cool. Thank you.